Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Are you a member of your church? This is a hot-button topic for many that believe the church gives Christians a bad name. The sad reality is they're right, but it doesn't change our need for an accountable relationship with one of God's earthly authorities. Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us part three of The Church, Your Church, and You, which covers Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. Thank you for joining us today. I think it's only fair that I give you a bit of heads-up warning here. I, uh, I am going to use uh, what would be considered by many a vulgar word in the message today. And from time to time, I'm quoting, I'm not coming from my heart. It's not an issue of I'm sinning. I trust me, I'm not. But I know some people have various opinions about doing such. But I'm letting you know now, all right? It will be the S word. I will be talking about submission. (laughs) I'm telling you, what I'm sharing today is not a popular message. Not at all. I was at a gathering of pastors a number of years ago, and they were pastors of growing larger churches, and, and they brought us resources to come teach us about how to make the church what it needs to be and all. And there was a lot of talk in those days about church growth, probably an unhealthy emphasis on growing the church. And one of the leaders, very, very respected leader, said, now I encourage you, don't use membership in your church because membership requires submission. And people do not want to submit today. And therefore, your church will grow much faster and better if you don't emphasize that. Maybe you have it for those that want it, but don't talk about it. Because submission is not positive. Well, for some, this may not come across as a positive message. I don't know. I hope it will. Because it is a positive message. It's coming right out of the truth of God's word. And so as such... I hope you find it to be important. What we're doing is we are dividing the message into two different pieces. And it's actually two different messages. I'm calling them, uh, calling them uh, many messages. The first has to do with the church. The title of our series is The Church, Your Church, and You. And so the first portion, we're addressing the biblical teaching of the church. And then what we're doing, because we're moving into our 35th anniversary celebration and then we're launching into the next five years of vision and we're going to be casting vision and part of that is to do so in this series i want you to understand your church to get an appreciation for who she is and what she's all about and then we want to address how about you individually and in doing so we're talking about life planning and even family planning If you've been with us, you understand. If you're new, I think you'll pick it up pretty quickly. But first, I want to start with the church. We've talked about how the problem of individualism is rampant today. It's part of our culture. It's the way we think. It's the way we live. And really, the counter force is accountable relationships. So we've talked a lot about building that understanding of why and biblically why accountable relationships. Then I made a statement that accountable relationships require a recognized authority. Now understand this, there's no such thing as authority 
without submission. Authority is there because of the need of submission. We have the authority of our God and of Christ. And we submit to him and his authority. And so in talking about that, we said that that really the home and the church are two of the primary means by which God has given us that recognized authority. Last week, we began with Matthew 16, and we talked through the text there. Many of you are familiar with this text, and the text makes it very, very clear that God is giving his authority. Jesus speaking is saying, I'm giving my authority to Somebody, because he says, I give to you the keys, which represent authority of the kingdom. We've talked about the two kingdoms, world and life view and all of that. So here is his kingdom, the church. He says, now I'm going to give the authority of the church. And he says to you, and we argued biblically why that would be the elders of the church, the apostles. As they laid hands on elders, even as we continue to lay hands every year on new elders, Conveying authority granted, given to these to carry the keys. Well, what do keys do? Keys are authority, but what do they do? Well, they sometimes unlock in order to let someone in. Well, people need to come into the relationship with the church. We call it membership. Sometimes people are not prepared. They don't understand the gospel. They haven't given their heart to Christ or not followers. And they might want to come into the church. And there are times we have to say, no, we have to use the keys to lock to say, welcome to this church in terms of attending and be a part of the programs in life. But to be in the covenant relationship, it requires a relationship with Christ himself. So we have to lock that door. There are other times there are people in the church who change their views about the truth or who come to a place of disobedience in such grave, serious ways that there's no repentance. And we say in such a lifestyle and there's no surrender, we don't even know if there's genuine salvation because of the way you're living or whatever. And we're going to have to unlock the door and you need to, hopefully you keep coming to church and be a part of who we are in many respects, but you're out of the covenant relationship because there is a breaking of the covenant. There is failure to submit. Now, understanding that portion of what it means to the keys and so forth, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. He says, so that whatever you, the elders of the church, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Well, what he's saying there is bind, obligatory, loose, permissible. He's saying what you The authority of the church, I'm giving my authority to you that whatever you say, as long as it doesn't violate the word of God, I'm going to approve and say, that is my will for you. Don't go against my scriptures, but in any arena that you speak in your realm of authority, then know that it is as if I am speaking. I'll explain that a little bit later. I want you to turn though for the text or to the text for today. And it's Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to begin with verse 15. And this is what it says. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. 
And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now he's talking about the church again. Okay, we go individually to someone and say, boy, I see what you're doing and this is disobedient to the Lord and I encourage you to repent and change your heart. Come on. No, 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 no. All right, we'll take some with you. Hey, we just come together. We love you so much. We want to see you on the right path of truth and this is going to hurt your life and it's disobedient. Lord, please come on. Nope, I don't care what you say. I'm not going to do it. This is take it to the church. We don't believe here that that means come to the congregation at large, visitors, everybody. No, no, no. Take it to the authority of the church. And let the authority of the church deal with it. They're the ones that hold the keys. And then if there's no repentance, then, oh, as grievous as it is, we have to say, well, this is where the keys have to be used to unlock, to let those that are in out and say, you, you cannot stay in as a covenant breaker. You're not obeying scripture. And it's grievous to have to do such. It doesn't have to happen often, but it does happen. And he says, tell it to the church. And whatever you bind on earth, I will say I approve. If you say no, they should say, I'm on proof. My authority. That's very confusing because... We know how challenging it is and that we don't always make wise decisions. And so I want you to know this before I walk through the four implications. I want you to know this. That person who is put in that situation and put outside the church is not being told you are a non-Christian. It is not saying you were a Christian and now you lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. Most all of you understand that. But what it's saying is you should be treated as a Gentile or a tax gatherer. Now you tell me, what is the equivalency of tax gatherer and Gentile? Those terms are used to refer to who? Yeah, non-believers. Now, it doesn't mean you become a non-believer, but you should be treated as a non-believer. We say by your lack of willingness to surrender and submit and so forth, we don't know if your heart really is truly in love with Christ or not. You could definitely be in such sin as a Christian, but, but we're going to have to treat you, hear that, treat you as if you were a non-Christian. Well, God has given us instructions. Okay, well, what about marrying? Can you marry a non-Christian? Well, no, you're supposed to marry believers. Paul taught the Corinthians that, all of us through, through the church of Corinth. Okay, marry only Christians. Well, who determines whether you're a Christian? That's why we went over last week. I don't determine if I'm a Christian. There's no authority in Rome that determines if I'm a Christian. But there are elders who have the authority. That's the Hebrews text that we looked at last week. So, okay, there's somebody that has that authority to determine... Are you to be treated as a Christian or are you not? So with that, I want to walk through four implications. You have them in your outline. You'll see them here on the screen. The first is simply this. Every believer should be declared members of God's earthly kingdom by ordained leadership within the church. Every every believer declared because I don't hold the keys. You don't hold the keys. The elders do. So they 
should declare you. What does that mean? They look at your heart and examine your life to only degree they can to perfection. No, sometimes missing. Oh yeah, sometimes. But they at least are there to say, we're going to utilize the keys. And yes, you come in. We see evidence of being a true follower of Christ. You come in. Now, these next two are very similar, but just a little different. Number two, every believer should be under the spiritual authority of ordained leadership within the church. So what a person does in becoming a member, I don't even like the term member. I love covenant relationship. They come into a promise, a covenant to say, I will be the faithful member and I will submit to the leadership and authority of the church and so forth and so on. So that's the membership process. It's coming into relationship with a binding covenant and they live under that authority as God has called them to do. Number three, every believer should be in submission to and accountable to ordained leadership within the church. Now this is where it gets a little tricky. Wait now, I can show you churches that have made some really, really stupid decisions. They've made some poor judgments. I submit to poor judgments. I love to ask two questions. If you've been through membership class, you've heard these worth reviewing. If you've not, you need to understand this. Here's the first question. Is there any other authority other than the word of God that we can go to, to know for sure, not think so, but I mean, for sure, hundred percent sure that it's the will of God outside the word of God. Is there any place we can go to know it's the will of God? And I hear Christian audience after Christian audience say, nope, just the word of God. I say, I disagree. I think the scriptures are pretty clear. There are other ways to know the will of God. What ways? And I mentioned these four. There's the Bible, certainly. There's the family. You've got the government. And then you've got the church. And somebody says, well, now wait. I understand the Bible. Yeah, that's the will of God. I can put a check on that one. No big deal. But the family, I don't know. What do you mean? I said, well, uh, by the way, I, I used this on Saturday evening a few weeks ago, a little prematurely. So if you were in that service, you're going to hear it again. My apologies. But, but here's the point. Family, well, what if your child, 16 years of age, gets her driver's license and she says, Mom, Dad, look, my license, I got it today. I'm going out tonight and I'm going to show it to all of my friends across North Atlanta. And I want you to know I'm going to be home by 2.30 in the morning. So just don't expect me in before that time. And as a parent, you go, no, you're not, sweetie. I'm sorry. Number one, you just got your license. Number two, it's night. Let's assume there's no, there's no curfew in, in, in Atlanta for a driving age. Forget that. And so, but I'm not going to allow you to do that. And your child says, well... Mom, dad, you know how much I love the Lord. And I've been praying about this for a long time. And I really believe it's the will of God. Now, if you'll show me in scripture where it says 16 year olds are not supposed to drive and not supposed to be until two thirty, whatever, then I'm going to obey God because I love the Lord. But this is something I've really prayed about. Now, what would you say, parent? I'll tell you what I'd say, sweetie, it is the will of God to stay home. How can you say that? I say Ephesians 6 verse 1 children obey your parents this is the will of God 
So you want to know the will of God, obey me. Now, if I tell you to do something the Bible says not to do, whatever, then that would be wrong. What about the government? Uh, we look at the government and see all the poor choices and the things they're doing and the lack of respect many have for the government and so forth. And we say, okay, a lot of, a lot of poor judgments and so forth. But wait, is it the will of God? Romans 13, verse 1. It says, obey the civil magistrate, the government. They are ministers of God. They're ministers of justice. Wow. Ooh, that is the will of God. And then we come to the church. What about the church? The Hebrews text that we looked at last week, chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders who watch over your souls. That's elders. And then it goes on to say, this is God's will for you. So that is the will of God. Now, I will grant, it becomes a little challenging because we've got another question to ask, and that's this question. If you're in the will of God, are you therefore in the wisdom of God? And most people say, well, of course, if you're in the will of God, that's the wisdom of God. Say, I don't think so. Now, granted, according to the Bible, if something's in the Bible, what is the will of God is the wisdom of God. Never to be doubted. It's an authoritative word, infallible Inspired of God, absolutely, accept that. But what about when we come now, what about when we come to the family? Well, you know good and well, a family can make grave mistakes of, of judgment and wisdom, but it may not violate scripture or the government or, what, or even the church. So what if you as a parent or I as a parent said, honey, you're going to be home by 1.30. I'm not letting you out till 2.30. And she comes in at 2.20. She's not violated if there's no curfew, the government, family, the church, Bible. So you can't say, well, outside the will of God, but I would say very strongly, I would suggest outside the wisdom of God. Sure. Well, what about the government? Oh, my goodness. You know good and well. Government and church. Poor judgments made. Not intentionally. Not at good churches, but certainly poor judgments made. Is it the will of God to submit then? It is. It's like a kid that says, here's the parents say, I want you to eat that candy right now. I want to obey you, mama. I want to obey you, dad. I will eat that candy right now. No big deal. But when they say, I want you to eat the asparagus. I don't like asparagus. I don't want asparagus. There's no reason I should eat that stuff. No, I said eat. Well, I don't want to. I don't agree. Therefore, should I have to do it? Put it this way, what if you were in a court of law and the court found you guilty of something that you know for sure, 100%, only you know, but you're innocent, but you have to pay the fine. Is it God's will to pay the fine or can you say, no, God didn't want me to pay the fine because I know better. That's not accurate. And you know, people come under the authority of the church and the church has to make judgments and sometimes unwise judgments, I'm sure. Is it the will of God to submit? It is. And many people would rather have their own way and their own judgment and what they think is a wiser judgment than the will of God. Puts us in grave, grave position. The fourth and last implication. Every believer must be a member in good standing with the church to have access to the Lord's table and to marry another member of a church. Boy, this one's hard. People don't get this anymore. 
By the way, what I'm teaching you years and years ago, absolutely accepted. Nobody would blink. Now people are going, are you sure? I don't know about this. I had a, I had a couple I was marrying because of close relationship. This was a number of years ago. And I knew the woman, the young single that was getting married. And I did not know the husband or the fiance. I heard good things of him. I met with him before I could tell him I could marry and make sure everything was in order. I assumed it was and listened to his testimony. I knew hers and story and so forth. She's a member here in good standing. And I heard his testimony. There wasn't a question in my mind. I think doing fine. And then I said, now, because I know my credentials, I can't marry a Christian with a non-Christian. And I can't marry a Christian as someone who's to be treated as a non-Christian because they're not a member of a church. They've never had anybody with authority to say, you are to be treated as a Christian. So I asked the question, are you a member of a church in good standing? He said, no, I don't go to church. Church is regular. I mean, I, I go to churches, but I kind of pick around whatever church that, you know, I like what they've got going. I go here to singles, I go to this, that, and that, but I don't have a membership anywhere. And I thought, oh no, he's not going to understand this one. And I said, well, you know, this sounds strange, but I'm not allowed to marry you unless you're a member in good standing. He said, what? In a very abrupt way, he said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I said, you think that's pretty stupid, huh? He said, I think it is. I think it's ridiculous. Membership doesn't mean a thing. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you want to have children once you get married? Sure, I do. Would you be happy to have a little girl? Boy, I'd love to have a little girl. What if that little girl, the apple of your eye, the love of your life grows up and meets the guy that you think would be the perfect husband. And they date year after year after year after year until well into the thirties. And, and finally you say, honey, do you plan to ever marry and have a family? And what if she said to you, dad, don't worry about the family part. We're going to have a family. We're going to start living together very soon. But the marriage thing we don't really care about. It's just not that important to us. As long as we love each other, that's what counts. Would that bother you? He said, boy, he can't. He said, absolutely, that'd bother me. And I said, and why would that bother you? And his answer was the answer I was looking for. He said, there needs to be a promise. There needs to be a commitment. And he walked right through it. And I said, there you go. (laughs) People love dating the church. But they don't marry. Because they don't want to be in submission. And God says, I give my authority to her. So to obey me is to obey her. And that's not a popular message. But it is a biblical one. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we, we know that our faith in Christ is a marriage to him. And certainly we know that marriage without submission is a distortion of marriage. And Lord, we want to submit to you. And we know we do submit to you by submitting to your word first and foremost. But beyond that, even to your church, your authority. Father, we believe that Christianity without submission is a distortion of Christianity. And we don't want to be living distorted as believers. And so, Lord, would you forgive us right now? And we have our time of repentance even now to say we're sorry. Cleanse us of that sin and all sin that we're a part of right now. Would you cleanse our hearts and forgive us? Thank you for Christ. Thank you for his work that gives us that forgiveness. 
And may we find our faith deepened and enriched because even in this arena that we turn to you and obey. Some of us, Father, have never come into membership of your church. For whatever reason, grant this teaching to draw us into your family in a special way. Thank you. We pray in the great name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Now, we turn our attention to our church and you. Now, as we do so, I'm actually going to talk about us first, okay? We've been talking about life planning. I've had a number of people come up to me and say, boy, I love this series on life planning. I have so needed this. I've heard that over and over and over again. The reality is this is not a series on life planning. I think many of us appreciate it the most because it's something so new to us and it's been so beneficial. But the, the series is on the church and that's what's most important, that we get that understanding of the church. And then with that, we have our plan. I'm going to close by saying there's one other thing that you're not going to be surprised to hear me say that's got to be there. But we do need the church. We do need a plan. And so we've been talking about as important as a business plan is to a business, a life plan is to a good life. Or a family plan is to a good family. So I'm trying to coach you through that to understand what that means. And in doing so, I'm using here a, uh, a little booklet we have, part of the journey, The Pursuit of a Life Plan. You can pick one up, one free per each person. Pick it up in the lobby if you don't already have it, and you can see where we are. We're in week three. We first of all dealt with what we call our purpose. Purpose answers the simple question, why do I exist? So once you get that one answered, that is the most important question. And I encourage everyone who's interested in this series at all, podcast number one for sure. Go back because what we teach there on the purpose of life is foundational. You got to get it right. Miss it, miss everything. But then we moved last week to vision. Vision answers the question, what am I trying to accomplish? And so I tried to explain that one way to do it, there's not a right or wrong, it's, but a, one way to do it is to just put out what your various roles of life are. Just what are special important roles that you have? Are you a father? Are you a, are you a wife? Are you a uh, you know, a child, you know, you have an employee, it doesn't matter, but just put out whatever roles are critical in your life. And then you simply write a word or two, my suggestion, just a word or two that says, this summarizes the bigger picture of what I'd like to accomplish in that role. When life ends, this is how I hope that I can have my life described. Then what you do is you Simply take that and you put it into a statement, a very brief, short, easy statement. And so I'll show you how I did mine. I introduced just the, the whole picture, I think, uh, maybe I didn't last week, but here, here's, the, here's the roles and description that, uh, that I have. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a husband, father, pastor, church member. So I say, okay, what word or words would best describe what I would hope to see accomplished in those roles? Well, I say, well, to be a follower of Christ, I hope I'm mature. A husband and father, I think godly is a word I like to use. And what about pastor or church member? I put faithful. All right. So now I just put it together in a statement. I think I showed the statement last week, but the statement looks like this. To be a mature follower of Christ, a godly husband and father, and a faithful pastor and church member. 
So there's my easy vision. I can carry it with me. I know it. I can pray it. I can think through it as I choose to do so. Now, this week, we're moving to a much more challenging area, and that is the idea of writing your mission, our mission. By the way, many use those interchangeably, so it doesn't really matter. I like the idea of vision being the bigger and mission being, how do I plan to accomplish my vision? That's your mission. And you simply answer that question. I suggest you take each piece of your vision and then say, now, what would have to happen To make that vision in that role a reality. And you work on it. You think through it. I'm asking every person who's a part of Perimeter Church to spend 30 minutes per week working through this. Pages 7 through, I think it's 11 of your booklet. We'll give you examples, illustrations, places to write. It's all there. But I hope you'll spend just 30 minutes. It can be a life changer. But... How do I plan to accomplish my vision? Let me show you mine. Let me show you the vision of some others first. That's my apologies. That's what I want to do. Show this is one of our elders uh, gave us theirs. And I've asked you to, to text to the church. You're, and I got a lot of good ones. Great. In fact, none of them that I thought were poor or inappropriate or bad, but one of our elders said at all times and in every way, I will strive to be first a mature and impactful disciple of Christ. He put scripture in his, which is wonderful. Second, a loving husband and father. Third, a responsible citizen of my community. Fourth, a faithful servant of the people entrusted to my leadership. And fifth, a faithful steward of the resources entrusted to my care. So this is back to, to our, our vision statements. Okay. All right. Now we have a young mom in our church has little children. I thought it'd be good to see from a a young mom's perspective. She put this to be a godly helpmate to my husband, helping him fulfill his purpose and vision and to be a godly mother walking alongside my boys to train them up in the way they should go in order for them to discover their life's vision. Very good. And then there is a uh, one that I pulled out that's from one of our uh, young single ladies. She said to be an authentic and growing follower of Christ a respectful and honest daughter, an efficient and passionate employee, and a loyal and trusted friend. Very good. Now, if you're going to do your mission at this point, you're going to take that vision, take each piece, and now you're going to expand on it and say, what will it take to accomplish that? And I'll here I'll, now I'll show you mine. I put, I plan to accomplish my life vision of being, and then I take each of my roles. The first role being a mature follower of Christ. And now I'm going to set out how I think it would be important for me to focus on certain things. If I'm going to be a mature follower of Christ by living consistently under the control of the Holy Spirit, the direction of the word of God and the motivation of the love of Christ, giving evidence of being a faithful member of God's church an effective manager of my life, relationship and resources a willing minister to God's people and an available messenger to non-kingdom people. That pretty much summarized it to me. So I can look at that and say, okay, any of these areas that I'm really drifting on and struggling with and so forth. But I wanted to be more than a mature follower of Christ. I had a family role there. So I said, I plan to accomplish my life vision of being a godly husband and father by providing the love, leadership, role modeling, time, instruction, and personal resources necessary to assure that my, that Carol, my children and grandchildren are as physically healthy, emotionally strong and spiritually mature as God intends them to be. Okay. Then I had a third role, a pastor. I said, 
a, a faithful pastor by providing the spiritual leadership, instruction, exhortation, role modeling, pastoral care, and equipping necessary to lead Perimeter Church to accomplish its mission and goals, to live out its values, and to fulfill its vision. Good, I don't know, bad, but it's mine. It's just, that's what I think, and that's what I hold to, and, and I can look at that. Lastly, a faithful church member, by keeping my church vows to protect the peace and purity of the church and to support the worship and work of the church. I took the last two of the four vows of church membership, and because the first two were already wrapped in my previous work, I just put those here to kind of summarize and bring that to conclusion. Hopefully, that just gives you a little flavor of what it's like and how to do it. Again, go to your, uh, your plan here. Uh, let me give you the number. If you would text your ideas of what you're coming up with for your mission, I'd love to hear it. Here's the text, 678 835 8398. Love to have you pass that on to me this week. And I'll use some of those you send in, assuming you, you'll do that for me. I'm encouraging you to read a book right now during this series, Ordering Your Private World by Gordon McDonald. And I again encourage you to get that if you have not. Okay, now we want to turn lastly to your church. What about Perimeter Church? Here we're about to launch a new five year vision. I want you to understand what we're doing. And when I say a new vision, it's not the new vision. It's the old vision, the old mission. But we're launching it with some new strategies. We're launching it with some new goals, a lot of new emphases you're going to learn about. But I want you just to understand what our plan is. Many a church has failed to put a plan together and people come to their churches and say, I don't know, do I want to join here or not? What are you doing? What's it all about? Oh, we're trying to be a good church. And they go, no, show me, what are you all about? And if you can't write it, you probably don't know it. So we've written ours. I had it for years. Front and back side. You can pick up one sheet as you leave. And it's in each of the foyers. And you can see what ours is. Let me give you what our mission is in part. Now, keep in mind our mission, our vision was to make and deploy mature and equipped followers of Christ for the sake of family, community, and global transformation. All I'm going to give you today is the to, to make and deploy mature and equipped followers. And then next week, we're going to talk about for the sake of family, community, and global transformation. But there are four things that we believe have to happen if we're going to make and deploy mature and equipped followers of Christ. The first is to winsomely engage the unchurched where we live, work, and play. It is your church's desire to do whatever we can do to equip you so that you can winsomely engage unchurched people. You remember we've talked kingdom. That's why we started this with a teaching on kingdom. And we're the kingdom of the church. We are ambassadors. And as ambassadors, we have a citizenship in heaven. We come to this earth and we're not just here like anybody else. Live, get a job, make good money, have a good family, enjoy life, good health. Then we die. No. We say, God, whatever it takes, I want to come into this world now as your kingdom member. I am now an ambassador for you. And my goal now is to go among the non-kingdom people. And I want to bring healing and restoration to the world in which you've placed me. And Lord, if you'll do that through putting me in prison, as Paul says, I'll rejoice in that. I don't know what you need to do, but I want to be used to accomplish that. And once we get the mindset That's when we become effective in, as we're saying, winsomely engaging 
the unchurched. Not just here at church, but where we live, where we work, where we play. I love this idea of mindset. Until people get the right mindset, it is the mindset of a martyr. That's not a popular teaching either, by the way. Oh, you, you need to be a martyr. Do you know the word witness in Acts 1.8 is martus? It means martyr. It means a mindset saying, you know, whatever it takes. It's a whatever it takes mindset. Did you know that John Calvin, known so much for his theology, but uh, he was uh, an equipper of, of young pastors. He had a seminary in Geneva. And he was recruiting people to come there to be church planters, particularly in France. Do you know that the life expectancy of a church planter that would go there at that time was two years? Do you imagine our seminaries today? We say, come to seminary and you've got two years probably to live once you get out of here. I bet enrollment would be down. But see, there was a mindset, even as there was among the young missionaries and the early missionaries of America going to Africa, they would pack their possessions in their own casket. They were saying goodbye to their parents and family forever. They knew that. They knew their lifespan was going to be much shorter once they went there. But they had this mindset, whatever it takes. And they'd say, you know, unless I'm willing and even might have to die, the church is not going to be born. And I would much rather see the church born than me live. We had that mindset in America years ago where people say, I don't care if I lose my life, I'm going to war. And people today say, uh, if, I know, if I think that's a high risk, I don't want to do that. Why would somebody do that? But there's a mindset. And we will never have the mindset until we understand kingdom theology. You get to know kingdom. You get to know your role in kingdom. And next thing you know, your life purpose is really shaped differently. Number two. Of the four, attractively exposing the unchurched to God's word and God's people. That's a, uh, that's a very important part. How do we go about doing this? We're trying to equip as many of you as possible in how to do this. You are invited for, I'll lead the teaching each time. I teach twice a year. Next one coming up in fall, what is called express your faith. It'll be a training as to how you can do just this. Attractively expose people. To God's word and God's people. We're to be fishermen of men, right? So we fish. Well, what do we have? We, have a, we need some bait. So we get a lure. Well, what kind of lure? I believe in a two-hook lure. One hook, constant exposure to God's word. The other, constant exposure to God's people. And, and it works beautifully. It works beautifully. Uh, let's say that, that I hate Steve. Steve is one of our elders, and he voted against me one day. I don't like him. So I'm going to kill him. So I happen to catch him outside, grab him from behind, throw him down, put my hand on his neck, my knee on his chest, and I say, I'm going to kill you, Steve. And he goes, oh, no, I got a precious wife and daughter. Oh, no, please, no, no, no. I said, nothing's going to stop me, man. I hate you. I'm going to kill you. And I pull out of my jacket a foot-long dagger. And he sees the dagger, and about the time he sees it, he goes, oh, thank God. I say, what? Thank God. For what? Well, Randy, I just assumed you had a gun. You were going to shoot me when you said you were going to kill me. But which would kill me? But I don't know if you know this, but knives, they don't bother me. So you can stab away, but I need to get home for dinner. Hurry up and stab me. I got to go. So if I'm a good murderer, what do I do? Do I drop the knife and say, I'm coming back. I'll get a gun. 
Because I can kill you with a gun. No, I say, I don't know what he's talking about. I know better. He's dead. Right? Absolutely. Well, I meet with people all the time. I love when they say, I don't believe the Bible's God's word. I don't believe in it at all. I just don't believe your God. I don't believe you. And I say, well, good. Let me stab you for four weeks. I'm going to meet you once a week and I'm going to bring this big sword and I'm going to run it right through you. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a little dagger and you're going to take it home and you're going to stick yourself every day. (laughs) And you're going to read the scriptures and I'm going to show you some things about scripture and you're going to die and come to life more than likely. Well, if people understand that we don't persuade people to become Christian, God changes people. There's the answer. Number three. Sponsoring newcomers into church membership. I'm going to ask that all of you, when you get to your goals, that you include that, that God would use you every year to bring at least one person that you can sponsor into the life of church. And then lastly, discipling members in life on life, missional discipleship. I wish I had time to tell you all that I'd love to say about that, but I'll tell you, it's such a beautiful thing to get in discipleship. When you've got somebody prepared, anxious and ready to take you where you need to go in your faith. I love the fact that when I work out, I show up at a class and I don't have to worry, well, which muscle, what this, what kind of exercise, what I would never do what I do in this class. Never would I do it on my own, but I walk in among others and I got a leader and leader says, now start, here's what you're going to do. And you know what? I get through that and I say, that was so much easier than having to come up with my plan, how I'm going to do it, all the things I've got to study and all that. No, no, no. Just go. And that's what happens in discipleship. And you find a leader that pours their life into you. It's called Life on Life Missional Discipleship. This last year, we had about 1,300 adults in journey groups. We had about 750 children and youth in the youth and children journey groups. And this year, we think it's going to be even more. So give attention to the screen. Early 2010, um, I lost my job, and uh, and suddenly we were faced with uh, without um, real clarity and a lot of things. You know what was going to happen. I always have such strong faith. I was sure we'd be living in our car, and that um, you know what was going to happen. How was Schaefer going to keep going to perimeter school, and you know what what was going to happen to our family? And I, I think about um, just how being here at Perimeter and, and just how Barbara has grown in her faith and, and for me specifically it's been um, men's discipleship and all of a sudden I'm looking at a job in, um, in Ohio and, um, and I was sure that God had the wrong rights that there were, were two other opportunities one was in Nashville and one was in Greenville and I, and I thought there had been some mix up even though that was not what we had in mind um, there was just a real confidence um, that I felt that, you know, God is definitely sovereign. He's taking care of us. It was uh, an anticipation about what had he prepared us for and what was he sending us there for. Before moving and starting the job, um, I just had a real sense that um, I didn't know where God was going to land us up there. I didn't know where we were going to be going to church, but the one thing I did know is I was going to be involved in Life on Life men's discipleship start attending a church that uh, a few people had recommended to me. Uh, after about three weeks, I introduced myself to the pastor after the service, and um, I was telling him that I was pretty passionate about 
men's discipleship. Uh, and he just laughed and he introduced me to the uh, assistant pastor over discipleship. Three weeks after that, we had met every week just talking about uh, what we we're going to do. And they said, well, why don't you go through the first six weeks of the journey? The pastor said that um, he felt like we were going to look back on this years from now and just recognize this was the start of something very significant in their church. And uh, we went through the first six weeks of the journey and they said, well, is there any reason we've got to stop? You know? I said, well, we can go a few more weeks, but my family's coming up Memorial Day weekend and, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be done until September. We moved into the house in early July, and this same group of folks came and spent an Ten entire hours. day, yeah, I mean, just absolutely all day painting our house before our furniture arrived. And so it just was amazing how um, God used Lewis's interest in men's discipleship to uh, provide for us. The church that we've been attending um, had uh, a church plant they were going to start this fall and they um, asked me if I would go through the first six weeks of the journey with the pastor of that uh, church plant and one of the elders that was going to be there. Starting in September we, we had five um, discipleship groups with about 28 guys. Um, these guys are going, this is what I've been looking for. It just resonates with people and just the same as it did with me, it resonated with all these guys. All right, I'm going to close now. And, you know, I said there was kind of a third thing. Yeah, we need a church and we need a plan. But as important as those are, you do not want to write this plan and focus on the plan. Because what you're focusing on then is your own life and what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And that's important to have that. It's a tool. But folks, the focus has got to be on Jesus. You see, too many Christians today are focusing on how we're doing, good or bad. Look what the progress that I'm making. Or look at how I'm failing. Well, the focus has got to be on Christ. You begin to see it's what he does for us. What he has done for us, what he is doing for us. And once you begin to focus on that, it becomes about Jesus. And it becomes a tool. And you say, yes, Lord, you have to change me. And so for you that are seekers, you go to the cross. And you see, it's, it's not that you can become good enough and earn a merit, favor him. No, no, no. It's that you can't. And you go to him. Is there a surrender of the heart? Yes, but he even grants that. You go to him and say, God, give me what I need when the focus is on him. And likewise, as Christians, we keep going to the cross and we keep going to his work. And we remember his spirit that indwells us, that empowers us. And the focus is on him and what he does in us and for us. Then the plan becomes very valuable. My greatest fear is that we get a plan and we say, watch what I'll do now. Always Christ, the hope of glory. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the cross. Thank you for our Savior Jesus. And I pray that in the midst of all this discussion of, of church and authority and all of those things and the plan and all important things about the plan. And even the things you're doing in this church, 
that we in any way fail to put our attention and focus on your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done and what you are doing. I pray now you would impact hearts and lives as we come to you and say, I surrender to you. I submit to you and your authority. Be powerful in and through my life. And hear us even now as we close out, giving our pledge of intention to submit and surrender to you. But we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the media resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.